0: Hello Insiders and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, along with my good friend and Inside Track co host Eb Wilkinson. Welcoming you to a special almost summertime edition of Inside Track. Thanks for tuning in today. Welcome to the month of May. It is another great Saturday in Tucson, Arizona. It's supposed to be a hundred degrees sometime this week. I was in Phoenix yesterday at about 1.30 on the I-10 freeway, rolling back to my next destination in Phoenix. My car thermometer hit 100 degrees for a couple of minutes. Just this past week, we had high temps in the low 60s and lows in the 40s. I even saw my breath for the last time, I think, uh, for several months when I took Sparky out to do her business Tuesday morning. 100 degrees is just around the corner with many more to come. But remember... We don't have to shovel the heat. Get out and enjoy our weather. Eb, great to see you. And you. Uh, we have a great show today. We welcome your calls at the Essential Pest Control Hotline, 790-2040. I think you might want to talk to Greg Ayers from uh, Gap Ministries uh, and also Michael uh, Gerhart. And we have a great show. In just a moment after our first break, we will chat with that man, Greg Ayers, a man I deeply respect and I think you will also, Greg Ayers from Gap Ministries. The work that Gap does is very important and is a profound influence on our city's future. Greg will be with us until about 1.30. After the bow- after the bottom of the hour break, still having a problem with my tongue and reading capabilities, um, historian and author of Lincoln's Mentors, Michael Gerhart, will join us to talk about the men who influenced Perhaps one of the nation's most consequential and historic leaders, Abraham Lincoln. I'm very much looking forward to chatting with Michael also. This portion of Inside Track is brought to you by my co-host, Ed Wilkinson and his partner, Gary Imus, from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you will never have to solely depend on socialist security. Ed manages family wealth for my sister, and he does a great and a fabulous job. Call Eb at 777-1911 and let him help you also. Okay, Mr. Producer, let's take an early break. When we return, Eb and I will talk Gap Ministries with my Tucson hero, Greg Ayers. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a jiffy. <music> Jamie Kipper and her father, Gary Kipper, from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates?
1: So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing. And then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through. But that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house. We sell literally anything
0: made of metal. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209 1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday.
1: It's termite season. Bugs fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah, Run for your life. Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com.
2: What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your
3: country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson. -Wilkinson I-M-U-S-Wilkinson.com. 777-1911. 777-1911.
0: Welcome back to Inside Track. This portion of today's show brought to you by my friends Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. I talked to Gary recently about a bunch of steel we need for a fence we plan to build at the new house. Everyone can find something for the home or ranch at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus at super great prices. Go and check out what they have to offer. And don't forget, now that we're going into spring and summer temperatures, this is the time to get ahead of desert critters and pests. Call 886 for Eric Rudin and his great team at Essential to protect your home, business, your kids, and doggies. These are two great locally owned, family-run businesses you can depend upon. I do, so should you. Greg Ayers was a very successful professional in the financial field when he and his wife who also held an executive position, said there was more to life than just making money. Rather than taking it easy and giving and living the good life um, that most people would opt for, he decided uh, that his mission was to help kids, heal families, and give greater hope to our community. Greg and Pam have a new dream. They've been doing a fabulous job over on off of flowing wells, but it is to continue serving God, Help kids, help families, and make our town a better place to live. Greg is going to talk about their new dream for Gap Ministries. Thanks for joining us, Greg. You know we we were talking during the break about those commercials that Gap has run, and we've seen them on TV, we've heard them on the radio, yes, and they're great. And and uh, tell us the story about this young man who who walked into your office because he the, 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 those ads for anybody who hasn't seen them or heard them, they're about people who have gone through GAP and have changed their lives, the trajectory of their lives and their families. Talk about that young man.
2: It was an incredible moment where a young man came early to the office, knocked on the door. I happened to be just walking through the foyer to see him there because our door is locked and uh, asked what I could help him with. And he said, hey, I saw your ad over the weekend and my mother drove me down here first thing this morning because just like that lady, her life changed." I want my life to change, and Mm. I think I need to be a part of this program. Mm. So I invited him in. We um, uh, went through the application process. I helped him fill it out, got it over to the kitchen. He was accepted in this latest culinary program, and uh, he knocked on my door Wednesday um, uh, morning and said, Hey, you remember me? And Mm -hmm. I said, Oh, absolutely. And he said, I just wanted to tell you, this has been the greatest decision of my life, And I'm committing to you, Mr. Ayers, that I'm going to complete this uh, course. I'm coming in early. I'm staying late because I know my life is on a different trajectory today than it was just a few months ago. And he he had
0: all kinds of problems before. All kinds of struggles.
2: All kinds of struggles. Life struggles, in and out of prison, uh, and drug addictions. And just uh, it seems like a lot of uh, people that get in these spiral, and they're really spiral. they spiral down Never feel like they can get out of it. And when uh, this woman on the, our latest video shared her the hope that she found, um, that inspired this young man to say, wait, if she found hope and she could change the trajectory of her life, I can change the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to watch that happen. And uh, that's why Campus of Hope is really so important right. to us. And that's the dream. What's that cost this young man? That cost him nothing except his time, and it's going to be everything in the changing of his life. It's a determination. He's going to have to choose to do it. He's going to have to choose to get up early and be there. He's going to have to choose to uh, make different choices in his life. But as far as just cost. Cost, capital output, it doesn't cost him anything. No. We we sponsor all these people to come through this program. Uh, And uh, we're not successful with everybody, but those that have gone through have literally and graduated Cause they have to graduate. They find careers. Uh, they're in restaurants and uh, uh, resorts all across the city. It's not just they're flipping uh, burgers at McDonald's. They're actually learning the culinary skill that puts them in high-end resorts, high-end restaurants. And there are hundreds of those serving across the, our city today.
0: So let's get right to it. Gap Ministries, uh, there's this huge location that you have, okay? mm mm-hmm. um, But you've outgrown it, and there's lots of other things that that you want to do. Um, What's your dream, yours and Pam's dream, for GAP going forward with the Campus of Hope?
2: Well, when we first uh, looked at where we're at today, it was 10 years ago we moved in there, we thought, how could we ever fill it? How could we ever grow the programs and the ministries that God has put on our heart? This just seems so big. And 10 years later, it's we're outgrowing that. Mm. But I think even more importantly, it's probably not a good use of the stewardship of money that comes into the ministry because it's not ours. We lease it from um, uh, a gentleman who lives in California. It's a tremendous blessing. Nice man. Nice yeah. man. Uh, I, but they're there to make money, and uh, we pay a fair market rate for the facility, and it's a good rate if compared to where we'd pay everywhere else. But still, that's money that's going into his pocket, into his building, and we really feel like we need to have our own place where not only we can do the things that we do today, but we can grow. Uh, Because today there are strings. We're in an industrial park. There's certain things they don't want us to do there. There's certain time frames they want us to abide by. There's other trucks in and out. There's some dangers for the children that we have there. Uh, You've seen that place, and it is is an industrial park. Uh, We need a place where it's more family-friendly, more uh, child-friendly. Right, kids safe. Yeah, and it's set up for that and secure. Even for those that we serve, yeah. uh, we serve a tough population and security is important and uh, we can't be as secure in that location. So right. there's a lot of reasons. Financially, it's a big reason, but there's so much more to the, uh, the dream of moving into our own campus. Yeah.
0: We have a caller hand on the line before we get to him. GAP started, if I'm remembering right, Greg, is a food pantry run out of your garage at your Absolutely. house. Looking back <laughs> uh, at the last 20 plus years, what do you think you're most proud of? Well, I think personally,
2: um, I'm most proud of the fact that through this journey, I've adopted four wonderful kids out of mm. the foster care system. So um, all the a- uh, accolades that have come to GAP and all the accomplishments that GAP ministry has had really pale in comparison to the four lives that have been added to my families. Mm. Um, so, so that's probably it, so the most proud thing as a father i have these new four four children that are now part of the heirs family yeah and going to take on the uh the legacy of the heirs family into generations yeah yeah
0: uh, that i didn't know that that's a, that's a yeah. fabulous accomplishment
2: yeah and it's it's incredible and um you know i have six children two biological and four by adoption uh, but it's probably the the greatest thing in my life oh. is to have these four kids. Yeah. Has it been easy? Absolutely not. If many <laughs> of my kids are listening, they'll say, "Yeah, Dad, I was that I was that tough one." <laughs> uh, but they're in their twenties now, and uh, they're the trajectory of their lives are tremendous, and it's just been a a, a very big blessing for Pam and I. Wow. Uh, yeah. The ministry's had a lot of moments, and but touching lives. Um, our motto is changing one life at a time, and it's been worth. Um, Everything that we poured in, because yeah. we've given it all on yeah. this journey. Yeah. Many times God's asked us to
0: give it all, yeah. and it's been worth it for seeing the lives changed. Right, uh, Charles Heller's hanging on the line. Uh, Charles, thanks for calling in to Inside Track. You're on with Greg Ayers.
4: Greg, I, I have a question, actually two questions for you. Um, you're actually doing this because you're an evil capitalist, and you actually make money on this, right?
2: <laughs> well, he, he pulled up in his Bentley. Yeah, absolutely uh uh we do it because uh we have a mission from god and uh, uh I'm not saying we don't get blessed because god blesses us uh and because well, those lord...
0: four kids yeah. are part of that
2: blessing absolutely the bible says that's the heritage of the lord to have a uh, quiver full of them yeah. uh so uh I believe in the we'll blessings of god so
4: well well keep quivering
2: yeah and absolutely the
4: second question is you only help people that are white right
2: uh no <laughs> Is this a plant from the show? No, it's not. not. (laughs) This is just Charles, who's a smart aleck.
0: It's white
1: privilege, isn't it?
2: Uh, You know, the beauty of the kingdom of God is, uh, Paul says, that there's no Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. He doesn't see uh, uh, the color of my skin or yours, and... Uh, we give be- and love Because we're mandated to give and love wow. And uh, that's why we do it Wow. Well
5: wow. how are you ever going to Promote the the, <laughs> the narrative
4: Of white privilege If you keep acting that way
2: You know what <laughs> oh, it, I'll have to uh, uh, turn that over to my <laughs> board And let them figure that out I guess That's not my uh, uh, <laughs> Direction you. of my life Thank you Thank Charles you. <laughs> We have another caller
3: Matt Matt you're on with Greg from Gap Ministries Hey Matthew
5: Hey,
2: Greg. Um, you know, obviously, you probably noticed all over town, uh, we are experiencing an inflation in property values. And my concern is, uh, have you noticed any level of increased stress um, due to that? Or are you guys watching it to see um, how it affects the populations that are most Uh, distressed and in need of your services. And I know, you know, obviously since, you know, Bruce has that great real estate background, too, I was wondering if you guys would address that and if you had any contact with either the city or the county uh, about that or any of their other agencies. Talk
0: to you later. Bye. Thanks, Matthew.
2: Well obviously the stresses of covid uh the eviction rates and um the lack of income that families have faced has created a, a greater stress on the family and on individual lives and our warehouse uh, the community warehouse that operates helps try to leave that those that are in need uh, we don't have a rigorous uh, uh qualification process for people to get products from us but we've all obviously seen a tremendous uptick in the help to families uh, since covid and during covid um, you know for gap we never shut down during covid we were essential our warehouse remained open the services to the community remained open uh, uh, our children were still served that's and, how critical
0: what you do is yeah is that you kept it going
2: Absolutely. All we through. were first. I call my staff first responders, and they may not be uh, police officers, and thank God for our police or uh, EMTs, or they're not in the hospitals. But what we were doing was just as important as their jobs during the season. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So the the founder of Inside Track, Emil Franzi and his wife Kathy, both of blessed memory, fostered many kids. I don't know if you know the story, uh, and they remained close to those kids for years. They're their kids are still friends, almost like brothers and sisters with, with their foster uh, uh, sisters and brothers. Too many, too many people. Kids without parents. Um, people think of these kids as the throwaway human beings. They're not throwaway human beings, That's are they? absolutely I, I, I think, I mean, that to me, having been there and, and talking to you, talking to tan and others, this is really one of the most beautiful things about the ministry that you're involved in. Yeah, the, the problem with our children is they have felt,
2: they have their own labels for themselves and they feel like they're throwaway children. Uh even though they love their parents, even if it was abuse and neglect or drugs that separated them, they still have a love for those parents. But they've been separated and they ask, why did my parents do this? They didn't love me enough. Uh, they float from foster family to foster family and separation happens over and over again. And these people just don't love me enough. And so they end up uh, at the end of this course saying, I am a throwaway. Nobody cares really about me. And then they begin to reject people before people reject them because they they don't want the hurt of that rejection. And so then that just makes the problem even greater. And the attachment uh, issues that foster children have and carries over into adulthood uh, is one of the real main reasons why we have a family model and we try to break that cycle, that even their, though their behaviors are tough, even though it's a tough moment uh... i will always love i remember having a struggle with my daughter and if she's listening she'll probably be mad that i share this but she was mad at me and she told me you're not my real dad and uh... in that moment i walked out of a room mad because here i'm hey you don't know what i sacrificed to make you my daughter and i walked out mad and i realized the holy spirit just hit me in the chest and said wait a minute will you love her always unconditionally whether she never loves you because that's what she deserves and that's what she needs and that is really the heart of most of the people that work for Gap Ministries and worked over the years. I'm going to love even when there's a rejection of love on the other side. It's not reciprocal. Sometimes it is. And we have people that call my wife and they still call, uh, young people, and they still call her mom. And they haven't, she hasn't been a mom to them for years and years. Uh, but they felt love. And so, um, it's really critical that we break this and we love unconditionally even if we never get it back. And child after child after child comes back as after adults and said, you know, this was the first place I felt loved. Mm-hmm. You were the first family that loved me. And I, even though we separated and they aged out and they went their separate ways, they find us and tell us how much those moments meant to them that changed the trajectory of their life. We would have been in prison today if it wasn't for Gap Ministries. We would have been, uh, we could even be dead today if it wasn't for Gap mm-hmm. Ministries, but their lives are successful mm-hmm. because they found somebody who actually cared for them.
0: Melinda is on the line. Uh, no, or Sue is on the line, and she wants to talk with us. Sue, you're on with Greg Ayers. Welcome to Inside, welcome to Inside Track.
5: Hi, Greg. Hi. Um, um, there's a thing that concerns me about foster care in the state of Arizona. Ninety-one percent of children who are seized by CPS slash DCS are taken for various forms Of neglect and uh, not abuse and so we've got 9% of children who um, who are actually abused and um, and then 91% who are not abused and they're winding I mean this is a relatively small state they're between 14 to 19,000 children seized from parents For very vague accusations of abuse. And they wind up in your facilities. In group homes. And in, and then there are children who are abused in foster care. I mean, there are a lot of great foster parents. I've met people who have been raised by great foster parents. But children are abused at a very high rate in foster care.
0: Uh, sue thank you Greg
2: you have a response sure I, I think that's a very challenging and difficult issue and uh, the state um, uh, may we we may not agree with the rationale all the time on when they remove a child uh, I, I think what ends up happening is that um, Sometimes children are removed and they should have been given, the family should have been given services. And I appreciate that the state right now is really working hard uh, behind the scenes to develop some programs that were in serving families before the child is removed. Uh, Whether it's abuse or neglect, both of them have damaging effects on a child. Uh, We may think that neglect isn't as bad as abuse, but in ways it is. In some instances it is. It creates the trauma in a child's life. And if you uh, work with trauma at all, you'll find out whether it's a physical, sexual, or emotional abuse that even neglect creates those trauma things in a life that actually affect the the emotions and the development of the brain. So they all have negative impacts on our children. And I understand where she's coming from because there's so many stories out there of the bad foster parents and this child should not have been removed. But we got to remember we're in a system that is broken because it's run by people. Whenever there's a broke Whenever people run something, look at our government. Shoot, our government can't even operate right because of the fact of the, the people that are in it are broken themselves, and we have a broken government most of the time. So there are a lot of issues within foster care. That's why, as a Christian, I believe we need to pray for it. We need to be proactive. Uh, We need to weed out bad foster parents. They need to be removed. Nobody's going to excuse bad actors. Uh, If the state is doing things wrong, we don't excuse the state, but we stay in the center of it and help them navigate and facilitate making it right and helping them make right decisions. And let's get some proactive uh, programs out there. And some of our our training programs are proactive. We're actually getting people trained so they can actually be the father or the mother that they need to be and not bring the neglect to their children.
0: And you have professional services that you're providing, these are trained professionals in this field with kids, with families, working to, to unite families, working to to make families safe again, right?
2: Absolutely. Our goal is that it, our families and children are united. It's never to see that that family, uh, is, the relationship is severed. That's what yeah. uh, the states calls it, severance. Uh, our desire, our prayer for every family that we uh, come in contact with, God, restore that family because your design for life, you know, one of the greatest um, uh, poverty cycle issues uh, and, a, and uh, substance abuse issues is the broken family. Yeah. And if we can restore the family, even if it was broken prior to this very moment, but restoration happens, that is the thing that actually changes the trajectory of a family
0: tree. So one last question, and, th- and thank you, Sue, for your call. Uh, one last question, because we're, we're short on time. So you want, you want to extend what gap services is doing today you want a new campus of hope tell us about that quickly and and how people can get involved yeah you can go to our website
2: uh... and you can find out more information about campus of hope but it's really important that we have our own place it's really important that we're able to expand our ministries it's it's really important that we'll be able to tailor some of the services that we do for children and families on our own location and it's really important that we save dollars uh, we're throwing money away leasing a facility, and if those dollars could be saved and put back into programs in that serve our community, we're actually going to serve more people. We serve thousands of families every year, uh, and hundreds and hundreds of children every year, and those numbers could increase if we could steward our dollars and not pour it into facility as much as pour it into the lives that God's called us to change.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. You're, you're, you're taking con, the same way that you're helping children take control of their lives and go in the right direction, you're trying to do the same exact thing for Gap. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, you know, you're, you're practicing what you're preaching at the same time.
2: Yeah, we you know we don't want to be in the property owning business, right. but there's some there's value to owning property. That is actually how somebody gets out of poverty. Give them ownership and watch what happens. Well, that's that same principle for a nonprofit. Give us the ownership of what we the tools that we use to actually serve people and watch what we can do with the finances that we're given.
0: So, Gap Ministries website. How do people get in contact with you? to If they minute. want, to come, if they want to
2: come see you, where where would they go? Right now, you can come to 2861 North Flowing Wells. Uh, suite 161 or 121, where two big suites that are connected together, uh, 57,000 square It's a
0: big honking place, You'll folks. see
2: our semis out in front, or our box trucks, uh, our community warehouses there. Uh, or visit our website at GapMin, that's G-A-P-M-I-N dot com.
0: Wow, that's great. Thank you very much. Well, thank we, you for having me. We want you and TN to come back Absolutely. Uh, often, yeah. and, and we want to hear more stories. Okay. The story you told about that young man that says it all that's what you do get ministries help this ministry these are great people i believe in them and i think you should too okay producer tom let's go to our bottom of the hour break when we return lincoln biographer and lincoln's mentors author michael gerhardt will join us you're listening to inside track stay tuned eb and i will be right back i'm proud to welcome my good friends at tucson iron and metal retail to inside track as an advertiser Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. It's termite season.
1: Bugs fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah, for your life. Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com.
3: I'm Ed Wilkinson with IMUS Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's IMUSWilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911.
0: Okay, Bruce Ash back. Uh, we're having a little bit of a difficulty. I'm going to let uh, I'm going to let uh, uh, Ebb take over for just a second. I need to go over to the control room so <coughs> Tom will figure this thing
3: out. Oh, great. Put me in charge. Well, listen, uh, if anybody's bored wants to call in, feel free to do that. Look, we are living in turbulent times right now. It's important to during this time, get your house in order, both financially and and physically, if you've got issues with your house, start getting those resolved right now. As Charles said, tighten the integrity of the hull. Financially, now is the time to sit on down, take a look at everything going on in your financial life, see where you're at, get out of debt, uh, get rid of your credit cards, cut them up, start saving money, get on a budget, do that now While you can, it is never too early and is never too late, but you need to do that now. Um, anybody has any questions? Call on in. One of the important things of getting out of debt is to sit on down. (coughs) Excuse me. Sit on down. Take stock of where you're at right now. Get a list of everything you owe. Get a list of everything you own. Put it on down in writing. Seek a financial professional to help you do this. You're going to need some guidance along the way. There are plenty of people such as myself out there that are willing to do that. So sit down, do that now. The next thing that you need to do once you get uh track of where you're at and what we call a baseline, then take a li- uh, the list of your debts, put them in order from smallest to largest. That's the issue that you're going to, or that's the Way that you're going to pay those off is from smallest to largest. So get yourself a thousand dollars in an emergency fund. Get that set aside so you don't have to worry about the radiator going out in your car or the water heater going out. The next thing you're going to do is start paying off those debts smallest to largest. So from if you have like three credit cards, one's five thousand, one's ten thousand, one's fifteen thousand. Take the smallest credit card and the take all three cards. You're going to make the minimum payment on all, on the first, on the two highest cards. On the smallest card, you're going to take all your extra cash, put it forward, pay that off. Once that card's paid off, then you take all the money that you had from there, go ahead, put that on the second card, work to pay that off. You'll do the same thing with the third card. Once you get that done, then you're going to start building a three to six month emergency fund. What that means is if it takes you $2,000 a month to run your house, you're going to want to have anywhere from six dollars to $12,000 sitting in money market at the bank. That's so if you lose your job, if COVID hits, if something happens, you've got the ability to go ahead and deal with it. Once that's done, then you move forward from there. But all these little things are important to do right now. Uh, people are complaining about not having jobs. Look, there is plenty of work out there. Go out. Every place is hiring. Well, not every place, but so many places are hiring right now. It is not hard to get a job. The problem I have is that you've got a government giving away lots and lots of money to try and take control of your life. Don't let them do that. You want to have control of your life. Don't let anybody else do that. Bruce, how are we doing in there? (laughs) And Bruce is still working away trying to get our next guest. Anybody have any questions? Feel free to call on in while Bruce is figuring out where Michael Gerhart, our next guest, is. And Charles, give a quick call. Once again, this is Ed Wilkinson, 1030, KVOA, The Voice. Oh, and here
0: comes Bruce. We have the right number for Michael, and he'll be with us in just a moment. Kind of throwing off track just a little bit, but Michael is a smart guy, and uh, we had to wait a little while due to my incompetence, but we're going to get to him right here in a second. Um, Did we not have the right number? Uh, I didn't have the right number. I wrote it down wrong. All right. Here we go. Okay. Michael, are you with us? I'm here. All right. Evan and I are pleased to introduce our special guest today, author of Lincoln's Mentors, Michael Gerhardt. Michael, welcome to Inside Track. Hey, tell us, why did you decide to write Lincoln's Menmore, uh, Mentors? Well,
4: that's a good question, and I appreciate your allowing me to, uh, be on, to answer it. Uh, I, I've always been interested in how the Constitution works um, outside of the courts. Uh, typically, we think of the Constitution only mattering in a court of law, particularly the Supreme Court. And I just thought um, it's got to matter somewhere else, or at least I hope it did. And so I've always been fascinated by what happens in Congress when it has to deal with a constitutional issue. And how do presidents deal with constitutional issues? And when you ask that last question. You inevitably end up thinking about Abraham Lincoln because he had a lot of constitutional issues he had to wrestle with as president of the United States, including how to preserve the Constitution in the midst of a civil war. So I became really interested in how Lincoln went about doing that and how he learned uh, about the Constitution and how he taught himself to be a leader.
0: So you're with the National Constitution Center at the University of North Carolina. You're the Burton uh, Craig Distinguished Professor of Jurisprudence at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Lincoln had little formal education, but he is thought of as being one of our greatest presidents. We know he read. How did his great (laughs) intellect develop as a youth and a young man through his reading? We'll get to the mentors in a second, but do you think that that helped him uh, in, in growing and understanding this country? There's no
4: doubt about it. There's no doubt about it at all. He, he was an insatiable reader, uh, he, he, uh, particularly at a young age. He just always was uh, fascinated by books, got interested by, in books. His a, a biological mother. Uh, unfortunately, she died when he was very young, but uh, before she died, she read books to him and got very interested in that, and his stepmother brought books with her when she came to live with them, and he got interested in those books, too, and so these two women, I think, really uh, interested this young boy in the written word, particularly how books could be a, almost a means to travel, to discover the world, and discover history. And so he read about George Washington and uh, the founders. He got really fascinated by them, and he would try to get his hands on other books about them, and and this was just the interest of his that followed him in his entire life. So, as president, he would be interested in reading up on the subject to try and educate himself about war, for example. And this was one of his uh, distinctive attributes. People who interacted with him uh, constantly remarked on how Lincoln had books around him and he would be reading about uh, subjects and history as a way to help him understand issues uh, and the Constitution.
0: So, is it safe to say that? Lincoln didn't learn from mentors necessarily that he admired, but some that he didn't agree with. For example, Andrew Jackson and Henry Clay come to mind? Yes.
4: Um, So, Lincoln uh, had a number of special attributes. One was that intellectual curiosity I was just talking about. Another was his, uh, his realization, the recognition, just almost seemed to be so natural to him to also watch and read people. And He would learn about not just leadership but about politics um, and uh, other things just by watching the people around him. And he would learn from people he liked, for example, Henry Clay, the great uh, leader leader that ultimately led a party that eventually became known as the Republican Party.
0: Right, the Whigs.
4: Um, Yes, the Whigs. And then he also uh, came of age, the first presidential election, he participated in, was one that pitted Andrew Jackson against Henry Clay. And Lincoln would learn about Jackson. I mean, he hated Jackson's politics. But he still was capable of learning something from uh, from Jackson. And that, I think, becomes one of his greatest attributes, that he could learn from people he didn't like and perhaps learn things not to do from people he did like. And this was how he uh, was throughout his entire life.
0: Could there ever have been two more different, Personalities in the White House than Jackson and Lincoln?
4: (laughs) Not not really. I mean, Jackson was famous for his temper, famous for his intensity, famous for trying to represent the common people. He was the first uh, genuinely populist president. But Lincoln understood that Jackson, who had been reelected to the presidency, was a very special and unique uh, president and leader. And so Lincoln grew up among Jacksonians he understood Jackson's appeal to a number of people, including his father. And that was something Lincoln to, used to his advantage when he became president. So he had in, the, in his presidential office in the White House one presidential portrait. It was of Andrew Jackson. And it became something he, he claimed inspired him. He, he'd bring former Democrats into that office, a point to the Jackson portrait. And it was basically a way to almost bond with people who had once been Democrats But also show those Democrats, he could be fiercely um, independent and fiercely in charge of something like protecting the country during a war, just like Jackson would have been.
0: Hmm. Abraham Lincoln served uh, one term in the U.S. Congress. How much direct contact do we think he had with the great men of those times and his mentors?
4: We think he had some contact with some of the great leaders of the time, but it probably was not a lot. Uh, So, for example, um, James Polk was president, but Lincoln was a very big uh, critic of Polk, and Polk was Jackson's protege. They likely were in the room at the same time on a couple different occasions, but there's no indication they had any kind of lengthy interaction at all. Um, There were great leaders in the House, he became friends with John Quincy Adams while he was there. John Quincy Adams was really the last of the founder's generation, and that was very um, impactful on Lincoln. Lincoln also befriended Daniel Clay while, while he was in the house, and they used to have Sunday morning breakfast together, I uh, think they would just tell each other's stories, make each other laugh, and so he also met others um, that it's not clear he was close to, but he would have met Jefferson Davis, for example, after Zachary Taylor died. Uh, Davis had been Taylor's son-in-law, and, um, and Davis was one of the pallbearers. But so, too, was uh, Lincoln. And so uh, that was the occasion in which Lincoln uh, would have met him. Lincoln would have met him also at Quincy uh, Adams' funeral, where Roger Taney was Chief Justice, and he was also one of the people present at the funeral. So he was interacting with these people. I'm not sure he had much impact on them, but my, my guess is, and when I talk about a little bit in the book, is he's really watching them and learning from them all at the same time, and they're probably underestimating him, because he tells all stories, and they probably just thought he was a jokester. But he is very sharp, and even though he was telling jokes and stories, he was constantly watching people for their reactions.
0: Hmm. And, and so, so that's a great point that is lost, I think, on a lot of people today. They tend to read things that might be on Twitter or or wherever their their social media actives uh, are, uh, and but they don't have a chance to really meet and interact in that in that period of time. Uh, you know, Washington was an insular place, and and you know the people who were there. Um, were are there to to create public policy. You you talked about. Hang on, let me get to this in a second. Um, you talk about the second generation of great Americans, and you know we would say John Quincy Adams and and Clay and Webster and and Jackson were in that second generation of great Americans. Um, they were professional politicians. So we we disparage professional politicians today, a lot. What was different? Between those professional politicians and the professional politicians of today, do you think?
4: That's a great question. Um, I, I think one thing that was different uh, at the time Lincoln lived is that politics was viewed as a noble endeavor. It was viewed as um, one of the best occupations anybody could pursue because it was an occupation which you gave back to the country, which you contributing to public service, your public service was something that would enable you, but also would be the greatest way you could show you cared about your country. And so, as you just pointed out, all those people you mentioned were professional politicians. Lincoln actually spent more time practicing law than he ever did in office, but he really wanted to live a life in politics. And so I think, you know, he, he tried to get himself there. Um, in the state legislature in Illinois, one term in the House of Representatives in DC, obviously one term as president and would have had a longer presidency had he not been killed. And so he's, uh, he thinks he succeeded most with his action in the political world, helping to lead the country, helping to protect the constitution. That's what a lot of people in that era thought was the greatest use of their skills. Um, and, and of course they were dealing with really big issues, um, slavery. Should we maintain it? Should we get rid of it? How do we get rid of it? How do we keep the country together? So if you're involved in politics in Lincoln's time, you're dealing with really big issues. I think today um, uh, political parties have just become even stronger than they were in Lincoln's day. They were pretty strong then. And people serve the, the party to, uh, uh, to a larger extent sometimes in the country. I think the second thing is today, I think um, because the media is much more omnipresent, um, and all around us, the politicians really don't just get promoted in the media, they also get trashed in the media. And it just happens more often. They get promoted more, they get trashed more. That was happening in Lincoln's day, but it was, roughly speaking, one step removed, really, from what the people were actually doing, because there was less media then. Um, But I think today the media helps uh, not just bring politicians down, but it's really difficult to... About the politics
0: and endeavor. Well, that that what you just said is very true, Michael. However, you have to admit the the journalism of the 19th century was was brutal. Uh, you know the, the caricatures that you know we still see in the history books uh, of the way that Lincoln was portrayed, not just in political cartoons, but the vile things that they said about him. In fact, going back to Jefferson and, and Adams, the the vile things that that were written right. in, in those days. I mean, th- those were pretty tough times. Um, you you said he admired Henry Clay for his rhetoric. And compromise, and, and and learned not just from his successes, but his failures. He he really was somebody who did learn from other people's failures, don't you think?
4: Yes, that was again a great uh, part of Lincoln's success as a person and ultimately as a leader. He was not he was not discriminating in terms of what who he learned from, and he could he could he things quite clear eyed, he's kind of unsentimental. In the in the sense that he could uh, be with somebody like Daniel Webster, enjoy his company, but still probably criticize Webster's politics, and also be able to see what he might have liked in it and what he might might, might want to emulate. Like. Clay was the great uh, was one of the great orators, as of course so too was Webster. Um, but Clay's politics were really Lincoln's politics. So Lincoln, he, Clay is really the ultimate ideal the political world. So he studied his speeches, he memorized his speeches, he'd walk around reciting them. Um, he'd also catch, I think he was president at least once, was Clay ridiculous which he was kind of listening very attentively. Um, and you could see that one of the great attributes that Clay had was this, uh, that he was a great rhetorician. At the same time, Clay was so ambitious to win the presidency, he might, uh, might have been viewed uh, critically as maybe he was too ambitious. He changed positions too often to please people, and I think Lincoln would have seen that as a problem and, um, and of course, didn't uh, emulate that part of Clay once Lincoln became a national leader. At the same time, Clay, I think, um, would have been somebody who was famous for compromise, sometimes called the Greek compromiser, and Lincoln learned from that in the sense that Lincoln understood that compromise was an extremely important, even on big issues. And he comes into the presidency as somebody who really lived a life of being very adept at trying to find middle ground between people. And you can see how Lincoln, in his first years as president, is trying to figure out a middle ground, can't find one. And, of course, he uh, leads the um, Union in the Civil War. But as as he does that, he's still trying in Washington to find ways to sort of bridge gaps between people. Not many leaders are trying to do that, but Lincoln's trying to do that. Repeatedly,
0: as president, hmm. and we know Lincoln was was a great supporter for the end of slavery and and for freedom yeah. uh, for for African Americans living in this country. Um, I watched, um, I think it was a C-SPAN, but maybe just a regular YouTube video of a uh, conversation that you had with the National Constitution Center. I think H.W. Uh, Brands was part of this uh, yeah. uh, series, and and I learned something uh, watching that. Um, did Lincoln once say that he supported mob action, meaning slave uprising? Uh, c- can you give some context to that? I-, I was surprised. I hadn't heard that because we always think of him as being so temperate in his speaking. Well,
4: yes. I, I, um, it, it comes up with me, but, it, but Lincoln's position was he actually opposed mob action. He was really always for uh, what he would call the rule of law and Uh, when he gave a a speech that becomes famous much later called the Lyceum Address, he's still a young man. In that speech, he's really criticizing Jackson for um, being king mob, and he's criticizing mobs for acting lawlessly. Um, So that was how Lincoln did it early on, but I think that he stuck with him. And later, of course, in the Civil War, uh, Lincoln is quite critical of the mob that's trying to rebel against the Union, that would be the Southern Army, and those people backing the Confederacy. Lincoln used them as treacherous and troublemakers, and Lincoln was always somebody who tried to live uh, within the law, not outside of it.
0: Hmm. Um, Lincoln was a great lover of humor, and he used it frequently to disarm or inform those that he dealt with. Who amongst his mentors may have been... Uh, gifted with that same sense of humor uh, that they utilized, do you think any of these Lincoln's yeah. mentors, you know, sort of um, uh, helped Lincoln develop that humor, or or did he have that from the beginning? Well, I think both are
4: true. I think he was uh, his father, uh, Thomas, was uh, repeatedly a very famous storyteller. So Lincoln, as a young boy, of course, is going to witness that. Lincoln, I think, discovers very quickly when he's young, that he, he can make people laugh. So he acts out scenes in the Bible but does it um, to make people laugh and makes fun of people um, all the time. Uh, and that's part of his good humor. He learns stories and uses them to make points all the time. I mean, there's one leader uh, uh, on the national scene that does that as well, is Henry Clay. So Lincoln is going to, I think for any reason Lincoln is attracted to him, as a mentor, um, he models himself to some extent on Clay, and Clay uses humor to really skewer his enemies. He was merciless in doing that all up until he becomes president. Then he kind of takes a step back and doesn't use the humor quite as bitingly as he had done before that. I mean, there's still occasions he'll do it to kind of keep people, knock people down the sides. Um, but he's a little more discreet on how he uses his humor once he becomes president.
0: Hmm. Um, I, I hate to I hate to sort of inject uh, uh, public you know pop culture today, but the Spielberg movie Lincoln really does get into you know the the, the humor and the way that he used sort of wit uh, to to get over on others and hmm. also to put them in their place. Is that really? I mean, do those sorts of things really happen? Is there some sort of documents uh, that 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 verify that, or is that just kind of made up whole cloth?
4: I, I think uh, it, it. I think it is, de- it is definitely documented, um, and and Lincoln was very um, deliberate about it. Uh, it, it. The movie beautifully displays the telling stories and driving some people crazy. I'm sure that was true then, um, but what we, what we do know is that Lincoln was again very adept at using humor to basically try and get people. Um, not to calm down, but also to get them um, to show some light in the time of great darkness when the Civil War was going on. And there is an, an episode, and I described it in the book, it's well-documented, when Lincoln, um, on the, at the cabinet meeting where Lincoln's about to introduce the United States of when the cabinet comes in, Lincoln's actually sitting there reading the book and laughing. Uh, and Lincoln, by the way, could put on a good show when he had to. Um, and Lincoln explains that this is this book is a very humorous book, he wants to share some of it with the cabinet, so he starts reading some portions out of it. Clearly, some people in the cabinet looks at, at, like Seward, so they're not particularly happy that Lincoln's doing this, and, when they, and nobody laughs. Lincoln says to the, the cabinet, look, well, you've got to learn to laugh. You've got to have to be able to laugh at a time like this. I mean, you've got to find um, something good. you know." Um, and that, I think, is what um, that's clearly... Uh, who Lincoln was and what he was trying to do with the humor, trying to make sure that people didn't totally take themselves so seriously at at, at a time when everything else was so serious, that they could somehow relax a little bit with humor, um, and humor could kind of lighten our souls a little bit. So Lincoln always saw it as a therapeutic uh, thing that he could do.
0: Well, Michael, our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Lincoln's Mentors is a wonderful book. Uh, it look into the statesmanship of our second generation of great American leaders, published by HarperCollins, available everywhere. Lincoln's Mentors is a great read. Insiders, we hope you enjoyed today's chat with Greg Garrison from Gap Ministries and Lincoln's Mentors author Michael Gerhardt. We have another great show for you next week when we welcome special guest, former CBS foreign diplomatic correspondent Marvin Cobb. Until then, for Inside Track, this Ed is and Ed Wilkinson wishing you a very good afternoon.